Welcome to NHL at the Rink. We're recording this on Thursday afternoon. Dan Rosen, next to me is Sean Rourke, as usual. And Sean, interesting times we have in the NHL these days, huh? Crazy 48 hours, right? I mean, <laughs> Dallas fires uh, Jim Montgomery under cloudy circumstances and uh, promotes Rick Bowness. He's going to be on the show a little bit, so we'll get into that a little bit more when he's our first guest. And then last night, out of nowhere, seemingly, Pete DeBoer gets fired in San Jose, a team that was playing really well for a while that seemed to right the ship after a really tough start and then was backsliding. And uh, the whole staff goes, Pete DeBoer and all of his assistants, including the goalie coach. I, I know it's a decision that uh, left you a little bit perplexed might be the right term. Yeah, I guess that would be per- perplexed would be a good term just because Look, they were struggling. Look, they're 0-4-1 in their last five games with seven goals. They had a tough start to the season. They did right it. They went 11-2-0 from November 5th through the 30th. I just think so much of Pete DeBoer as a coach. I think he is one of the best coaches in the NHL. Certainly he has not won the Stanley Cup, but he has taken two teams to a Stanley Cup final, the Devils and the Sharks. I would. I didn't think they would do it. I know they're they're backsliding, like you said. I just didn't think they they were going to do it because my feeling is, if you're going to make this type of seismic change, for cause for hockey reasons, you better have a better replacement in place. And it's no reflection on Bob Bugner, but I think so highly of Pete DeBoer that very few coaches would be a better replacement right now. And I don't think any of them are are currently uh, available, to be honest with you. So. That's why I was surprised that this happened. It's a change in dynamic. I get it. But what do you think? What you, when, you, when the news broke, Sean, what do you think? I, I, I thought that it was going to happen at some point, and it, it has nothing to do with Pete DeBoer. Look, I think both those teams who got to the Stanley Cup final maybe weren't the teams that should have been there. I think he coached them to the Stanley Cup final. That's my point. Right? I think he's a really good coach. Especially that Devils yeah. team that he coached to the final. I don't think they had much of a business being there on paper. Um, but the game's not played on paper. But look, we, you know, we've talked about this ad nauseum. You're not going to outcoach your goaltending, right? And his goaltending's been horrendous. I don't think there's any other way to put it. It hasn't been good enough to be a playoff team. Last year, they, they scotch-taped it and masking-taped it and any other kind of taped it over, <laughs> and they haven't done it this year. They've given up 113 goals already this season. The only team that's given up more is the Detroit Red Wings who've given up like 138. And they're the last place team in the league. And the team closest to San Jose is the Dallas Stars. I mean, I'm sorry, is the New Jersey Devils who are the second to worst team in the league right now. So you're talking about historically bad goaltending for a team that considers itself a playoff team. But you say that, and I I totally agree about, you know, tough to outcoach your goaltending. He did it last year. He he outcoached his goaltending last year. The the league average save percentage last season was nine oh five. The Sharks save percentage was eight eighty nine. So that's well below league league average. And they made the playoffs and they went on a deep run. And Marty Jones did get better in the playoffs. So he did outcoach his goaltending this season. You know their five on five save percentage is eight seventy eight, and that's last in the league. Their overall is eight ninety one between Marty Jones and Aaron Dell. So yeah, goaltending is the killer here, but. But here's another thing that needs to be said. There's a change in dynamic with the San Jose Sharks. And that goes along with not bringing back Joe Pavelski, not bringing back Justin Braun, acquiring Evander Kane in a trade and giving him a big contract, acquiring Eric Carlson in a trade and giving him a big contract. It changed the dynamic. Logan Couture, who seemed very comfortable in his role as part of the leadership core, now the leader of the leadership core as the captain. There is a comfort level, I think, that this team had with those players, and I understand maybe you don't want to give the three-year deal to Joe Pavelski. You only wanted to give him two. You were locked in on that, weren't going to give him the third. He found the third in Dallas. Fine, but there's a changing of the dynamic that, in my opinion, has nothing to do with Pete DeBoer, and I don't know that a new voice changes anything there either it's just a different dynamic the team has and they've been struggling to consistently play to the level of expectation with that change in dynamic 
Well, there was a comfort level there with that group, but that group didn't get it done. And the players you talked about in Carlson and Kane were brought in to get them over the hump yeah, last and let year. Me, let me say, and, and it almost happened. Let me it almost worked, too, but yeah. then you pay for the sins of trying to win now with the fruits of what comes later. And that's what's coming now. And this is a team that's locked. They are where locked. They, where they are. They have a million dollars of room in the salary cap. They have six guys that are on either no trades, no movement, or some sort of modified no movement clauses. Um, they cannot substantially change this team at this point. So what they have is what they have. Yeah, and let me let me also say that it's not a knock on Kane. I'm not saying they're bad players. No. You know, these are good players. Obviously. And they were brought in to do something. Yeah. They almost did it. And you have to pay for that. And they paid. And they're going to pay for a long time for it. And now they have to figure out how to change it. And I think with some of the changes they made and moving their whole coaching staff out and bringing a whole new one in is let's try and see what else we have. Let's try and work these new players in. Maybe there's a mandate. You know, Pete wanted to win, and he was going to win with veterans. He was going to win with the guys he had. You know, maybe there's a mandate now. Let's see what else is there, and let's figure this out. Well, they're de they're, they have to figure it out. And maybe Novakov, who's now you know, the, the Sharks' legendary goalie, Evgeny Novakov, maybe he's the one that can unlock Martin, Martin Jones and uh, Aaron Dellen to get him to play better. Let's move on to the next topic. I was at the Board of Governors meeting in Pebble Beach. Beautiful setting, by the really? way. Really? I would have <laughs> never known. Oh, my God. The pix is like a picture. It's like a painting. You're looking, you're looking at a wall with a painting. It's so beautiful there. What I liked about you being there is you didn't let anybody know no. how beautiful it was. Well, you we didn't were, rub it hold in on. at all. Well, I posted a picture on Twitter of overlooking the 18th green at the Pebble Beach Golf Course. I don't golf. I wouldn't pay to play there. I can't. I don't. I, I wouldn't put myself on that course even if I could afford it. But that was after we were done working. All right. Uh, we're, the work was over at that point. You know, Bill Douglas and I, we were, we were lunching at that point at the beautiful setting overlooking you the are, 18th You green. are men of leisure. Yes, right. But there was a lot to unfold at that meeting. One of the most important, I think, uh, game-changing type meetings that we that I've covered uh, in my time here and Gary Bettman on Monday night in, unveiled that four-point plan as they called it uh, to address the issues that we've been seeing with racism and abuse uh, you know some of the some of what he was saying is part of the plan all incidents of abusive behaviors now must be reported to the NHL immediately if not severe discipline swift and severe discipline training program designed for all coaches and assistant coaches and general managers and assistant GMs minor league coaches under the NHL under contract with NHL teams uh, and the league's going to use an outside company to design that program Kim Davis the executive VP at the league who I think is going to be very important in uh, implementing all this she's going to put together a committee uh, which is actually going to have several subcommittees to deal with various aspects inside and outside of the league discipline will be severe as i said and the hotline created for players or whoever uh to anonymously report if need be some incidents i thought it was a lot to unfold uh and progress certainly swift action what was you what did you think when when you heard all about that stuff monday night Look, this is what we talked about last week on the podcast, right? Communication is the key. To me, this is this is a big business, right? And it, it, it's a business now. It's not an old boys network. It's not a sport anymore as much as it is of a business. We have all these tools. Where mm -hmm. we work in the office, we have we're advised on how to deal with our co-employees we're given all these tools. We have a hotline if we have problems Most to call. Most corporate America does. Most, yeah. And that's what sports is now that is so here comes all these things to help the players to help the coaches to help everybody understand what what needs to be done and how it needs to be done so it's great and it's going to continue and like you said it's going to continue at a rapid pace at this point yeah and i and i mentioned that at kim davis the executive vp here at the nhl i think she's gonna be very important she spoke to the media i was there tuesday for half an hour and it was incredibly enlightening and it really showed uh, her passion for all of this and her knowledge of all this. And I thought one of the things that was a couple of things that were important, like I said, the committee that she is going to form, a multidisciplinary committee, there's going to be subcommittees involved in that. There, well, that's the, the working plan right now. And one of them to deal with the players and the Players Association and, and work with them. Another to deal with content and how a lot of this is portrayed to fans. And another to deal with potentially 
the what they call the hockey ecosystem, which other leagues, other people involved that aren't directly involved with the NHL, looking to them for advice. And this is not new, though. This has been going on for months, if not a year. Kim Davis has been here two years. What has happened is what's come to light in the past few weeks has accelerated the process and brought it into the public eye, uh, which which can, I, in my opinion, can only be a good thing because now there's some more transparency involved. Of course. And like you just mentioned, it's been happening for years. The game has always moved forward. The people in the game is, have always moved forward. Now with more scrutiny and more eyes on it, it's going to happen at a, at a more rapid pace. But we're putting the resources in place, people-wise and system-wise to be able to facilitate all of this happening. So then what comes out Tuesday morning is the news. Uh, this is not 12 hours after Gary Bettman unveiled the plan that the NHL has. We get the news that Jim Montgomery is no longer the coach of the Dallas Stars for what a material act of unprofessionalism, according to Stars general manager Jim Neal. And immediately, I think, the social media world jumped right to the conclusion of this is involved exactly with what Gary Bettman's doing. Turns out it is not, but it certainly took everyone by shock. It's more personal. It has nothing to do with the, the, the plan that Gary Bettman implemented or a behavior among a coach to his players or other le- league or team employees. But it was a shocking development that, that happened and you don't you don't see this. We'll talk to Rick Bonus about this, but you don't see this happening at all. And it blew my hair back. I'm curious, what did you think when you saw it? I'm trying to picture your hair being yeah, blown back. Kind of maybe s- while you're driving your convertible <laughs> at Pebble Beach. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but no, look, at Jim Nill, the the GM in, in Dallas, made it very clear that this started before the investigation yeah. started before. But Gary Bettman announced his initiative for the NHL, so they were they were not linked in any way, shape, or form. It, it, it is mind blowing. I mean. Monty was one of the best coaches in the league. He took the Stars to the second round of the playoffs last year, had figured out what was wrong with them to start this year, whatever malaise they might have had, and they've been the best team in the league since the eighth game of the season. The only team that's been better than them is the Washington Capitals. So, you know, comes out of nowhere. You don't know how to deal with it. I I remember sitting here, remember it was two days ago, (laughs) but being in the office and seeing it and being like, I better make sure this isn't a fake before we do anything else. So, you know, that's how unusual it was. Um, What the Stars have done since, I I think, has been they've hit every note perfectly. Mm -hmm. They win their first game two to nothing. The players have said all the right things. I think Rick Bonus, who we're going to have on in a couple of minutes, is is maybe the perfect person for all that he's been through in his career to be able to to deal with a situation that's almost unprecedented. Yeah, and let's get right to our first guest. He is Rick Bonus, as we've teed up a few times he's coached more than 2,000 games on a bench in the NHL 464 as a head coach most games coached in the NHL Rick thanks so much for joining us my pleasure I was good to talk to you guys absolutely thank you so nobody saw this coming I don't think you saw it coming we didn't see it coming you've been in this game for a long time Rick anything in your career prepare you for what you're going through right now no no, and it's it, we're, and uh, uh, to be honest, I'm still in shock. I still haven't gotten over it because, as we all know, when a team is struggling, you can somehow sense that okay, it's they're not listening. Uh, it needs a new voice. It needs a change. Whatever the reason is, you can sense that, and you can and you just feel it. This came completely out of the blue, and when I was informed of it uh, the other morning, like it, it took me. 100% by surprise, and as I mentioned, I'm still in shock, still have not gotten over it, but the cold reality is is you, you do in this profession, and you have to keep, you have to move forward quickly, and we had to put it behind us and get ready to play uh, against Jersey the other night, and we gave the players the day off, and even coming in today, it, it's going to take a couple of weeks for things to settle down. Uh, but yeah, I was floored, still in shock, and uh, still trying to you know get, get into the routine of being a head coach again. What made it important for you to give the players the day off on Wednesday after everything that happened on Tuesday, and then they go out and play a game on emotion? Probably, why was that important to to separate? I guess you know, give them the time away from the rink. Well, first of all, it was a scheduled day off uh, based on the schedule, um, so we weren't going to change that. 
and we, we talked to them the morning of, and we talked to them after the game, and okay, we all need some time to, to regroup here and kind of digest what has just happened. Yeah, because I know the players, as they and I've read them all, their comments, they were just as shocked as we were, as the coaching staff was. So it was a good day for them to get away and kind of regroup and gather their thoughts. And um, But again, it was a scheduled day off. Regardless, it would have been a day off because I think everyone, because of the shock, everyone needed some time to, to regroup and just get their thoughts in order. You briefly mentioned when you were talking that, you know, you could sense something like this because the team is tuned out or the other reason and one you've been familiar with a few times in your career is the team's not very good and they need to make a change. This, as we both mentioned, is completely different. You know, there's been some negatives about the Stars this year, the tough start, the inability to to score goals at times. What do you like about this team as as you inherit it and, and try and lead it to where everybody thinks it can go, which is deep into the playoffs? Well... Yeah, we as we woke up today, we're we're we're, we're top defensive team in the league in terms of goals against. So what I like about the team, uh, what we all like is 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 that we've got a commitment to play defense, take care of our end, take care of our net. That comes first, which makes us a very difficult team to play against. The offense, uh, yeah, we, we it's not where we we hoped it would be, um, but the defense is, and and basically that's. That's what got us turned around. We had a terrible start, as you mentioned, and we weren't defending and we weren't scoring. <laughs> so <laughs> you end up with the record that we did for 10 games. But since that time, there's been more of a focus on keeping the puck out of our zone and keeping the puck out of our net. And uh, the record has turned around and shown that. So what we all like about this team is we do know when we are on top of our game and we're forechecking well and we're back-checking well and, and we're getting moving the puck quickly out of our zone, that we are a very, very difficult team to play against. Uh, our penalty kill has been pretty consistent. We'd like to see the power play be more consistent. Uh, yes, we'd all like to score some goals. Um, but it, when you're not scoring goals, even against New Jersey, we'll use that as an example. We only scored two goals. We probably could have had four or five. We give their goaltending credit. Um, but we did We did a really good job defensively. So we all know that if we're going to go deep into the playoffs, as you mentioned, and we are going to, first of all, we got to get in and we're going to be doing it with team defense being a very difficult team to play against, which is probably uh, with the signings that we had over the course of summer, not how was the projections for our team, how to play. However, that being said, that's what got us to the success we had last year. We've got elite goaltending, and we all defend well, and that is going to be always will be the strength of this team. One of the things, Rick, that I found interesting in your your press conference right after you took over was that you said you were taking over the forwards and that John Stevens, I believe, is now going to run the D. Why that switch? Is it Does it have to do with what you were just saying, the, the need to maybe score more? Maybe, did you see some things within the forwards as an assistant that now you need to put into place? You feel you now have the power, obviously, to put into place with the forwards. No, I, it, it, I mean, John's run the dimensions for, for a yeah. long time as well. I know our defense very, very well. I, I, I've never worked with the forwards closely on a day-to-day basis. I want to get to know them, get to know them better. When you're coaching the defense, and I've had, you know, I've had a year and almost a half now with them. I, I, I know when they're on. I know when they're off. I know when they can have a long shift. I know when they need short shifts. Uh, I know when they can, who can move right to left. I, I have that feeling and. And I want to develop that with our forwards. I've got to know, I've got to learn them better. Okay, who needs 30-second shifts and who can handle a 50-second shift and who can move from center to right and it doesn't bother them. Um, those scenarios. And again, as a head coach, you've got to work closely with all your players. Uh, as a defensive coach, yeah, I just met, focused on the six, or seven, eight guys we had here and worked closely with them. Now I want to develop that same rapport with the forwards. And again, it's just, you've got to get to know your whole team. And I've got to get to know these forwards a lot better than I do right now. Rick, I want to go back to talking about the defense. You said you worked with the defense for a year and a half. To me, one of the mo- there's a lot of special guys on your team. There's a lot of high-end talent. To me, one of the most intriguing guys is Heskinen, right? And, and how good he's been so quickly. What is it about him? that surprised you as a coach when you looked at him and said, I can't believe at his age he's this good? His poise.
boys, and I've said this from day one. My, this kid came in last year as a 19-year-old, and even before I came here, last go back to last summer when all the trade talk was Carlson coming to Dallas, Ottawa was insisting on high school, and we, uh, Dallas kept saying no, and, I'm, and I didn't know the kid. And I said, well, geez, that, that kid's got to be really good. <laughs> I'm not going to give him up for Carlson. And then you watch him for a couple of weeks, and you say, wow, I wouldn't have done that either. <laughs> Jim Kutcher and the old man is a lot of credit for hanging on to him. This kid is special, and he, he, I don't want to put a whole lot of pressure on him, but he, this kid has Norris Trophy written all over him. What is amazing to me at that age is his poise and his confidence. He is an incredibly confident kid. He's a very humble kid. He's a very quiet kid. He doesn't talk about himself. He lets his play do all the talking for him. Deep down, he knows how good he is, and he expects you to be smart enough to see it when you watch him play. Uh, but it's his, it's his humility. It's a deep-down confidence, but it's incredible, his poise with the puck, without the puck, how to play D, his timing and joining the rest, all the things that he does so well. It's the poise at which he does it. He never gets rattled. The other thing you love about this kid, he wants to be on the ice in every tough situation. If we're down a goal late in the game, he wants he's almost jumping over the boards. He wants to be on the ice. If we have to defend a one-goal lead, he wants to be on the ice. There's a lot of guys who get nervous when you put them in those scenarios. Miro wants that challenge he wants to be on the ice so you love his poise you love his deep down confidence and you love the fact he knows he's an elite player and there's there's a lot of guys like that in the nhl right now a lot of young under 21 even defensemen you know a little bit older i think of kale mccarr who's in his first year but there's players all over the league right now that are similar to him 10 years ago they couldn't see the ice, right? It was always when you played and when you started coaching, oh, it takes defensemen six, seven, eight years to get up to speed. It's the hardest position to learn. What happened? Uh, well, I'll tell you one thing. These kids are not one bit intimidated coming into our league, and I think a lot of it has to do with the international play that they're exposed to growing up, and they're all exposed to it at such a young age, and they're playing in the world championships, and they're playing on big stages early in their careers. And the NHL has so much exposure now uh, internationally. So the kids, just they're just not intimidated coming into our league as they were before. And it is a younger league now, so they, they, they see kids that they played against already playing in the league. They know they can play in the league. But a, a big part of it, again, is the veterans are more accepted, more open to bring these kids in because they can see how talented they are, and they, they can see that they're going to... Um, help their team because the veterans used to be very hard on rookies well that doesn't happen anymore because again it's a young man's league and the veterans are more open to these kids coming in because they're so talented they're so skilled and they're so unintimidated by their surroundings as coaches as well i mean so much is going on rick right now with with the coaching world and and, and what we're seeing in the past few weeks but you this is a we keep hearing this is a different player that you have to coach now. The younger player is different. So how have you done it? How have you been able to stay current to be able to relate to the younger player? You adapt or you die. It's just as simple as that. You know? so <laughs> I've been fortunate, like I tell everybody, when I first got coaching in this league, I was younger than some of the players. Well, now I'm old enough to be Nero's grandfather. Right? I'm 64, <laughs> he's 20. So it's so through the through the years and through the different generations coming in. You, you, one thing you learn, especially the last couple generations coming into our league, is that they're not going to adapt to you. You have to adapt to them. Um, and it's their coaching, it's their confidence growing up these days. Whatever the reason, uh, you have to adapt to them. You have to learn uh, how to get along with every young player. You have to understand their strengths, their personalities, their weaknesses. You have to learn how to work with them. And and I guess that's what I've been able to do over the years. And I've, got, I've always had a good rapport with all the players that I've coached. I would hope some of them, as a coach, they don't like you anyways, no matter what you do. So you don't worry about that. But you just, as a coach in this league today, you learn to adapt to them and, and their needs and how they deal with things. And some of them you can yell at, some of them you can't yell at. And you just have to be able to distinguish that right away. 
because if you can if you can separate that right away, you're going to build a bond with them, you're going to build a trust with them, and then you have a really good relationship with them. And that's that's clearly so important to today's uh, young players coming into our league. And that's part of the broader conversation now, isn't it, with with what's happening with coaches and the allegations that we've seen them. Curious as a guy who's been on the bench for more games than anybody else in, in the history of the NHL, what do you think of the broader conversation happening now and the way it was responded to by the NHL at the Board of Governors meeting with Gary Bettman's four-point plan and the dis, you know the 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 uh, you know the inclusion and the culture change, if you will, that that is ongoing. Yeah, well, I, I agree totally with the, the steps the league have taken. Uh, let's just leave it at that. And um, again, it, it's a different era, and you adapt to the era. And that's as simple as that. And I support what the league is doing 100%. They're taking the necessary steps. And as coaches, uh, we support it. Simple as that. So I'm going to put you on the spot here. Who's the unsung hero on the Dallas Stars right now? Uh, well, you know, our goaltending speaks for itself. Essel Lindell. Um, he's another underrated player. Like he's our top penalty killer back there. He's been on the power play. He plays against the top players. He's physical. He's reliable. You don't hear about him because you hear about Heisken and everybody else. But Essel Lindell is not only a great person, but he's, a, he's one of the top defensive players in the league. There's a guy you could put him in the top four on any team in this league. Um, he's just reliable. He's consistent. He's competitive. He's low maintenance. He just shows up every day and goes to work. Another very quiet guy. He just comes to the rink and does his job. As coaches, you love players like that. You put them on the ice. You know exactly what you're going to get. He can play in any situation, and you just develop a, a, a true trust with him. And he doesn't get a lot of hype, but from a coaching perspective and a teammate's perspective, that puck drops every night. We know exactly what S is going to bring to the table. You throw Klingberg in there, and you got a pretty good top three. I think maybe you should have stayed with the D. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not that far. I told him that. Hey, I'm not that far away, and you're not getting rid of me that easy. You're right down the bench. <laughs> right down the bench, right? <laughs> I'm coming down to bug you. Do not be uh, forgotten about you. So, no, no, I've got a good rapport with all the D, and I'll, and I'll continue to do that. And another guy, you know, Jamie Oleski has played incredibly well for us. Uh, he has stepped in and just played 15, 18 minutes every night, and uh, we're very happy with Alexi. Uh, he's just been doing Alexiak doing, doing a great job for us. We've talked so much in this interview, Rick, about players on the team, the other coaches, and and everything. What is it? I mean, th- this opportunity as maybe not the way you want to get it, but I know you've wanted to be a head coach and you've wanted another chance. It's been more than 15 years since you last coached. What does this mean to you to get this opportunity now at 64 years old? Well, it is bittersweet because there's absolutely no way when I came here last year that I ever imagined this scenario happening. Uh, Monty was a young coach. You know he's going to come in here. He's going to be here a long time. Um, I wanted to come in. I wanted to help him. I wanted to get back into her, you know, back into the coaching right away. And uh, this is the spot I chose. And this was the, the last thing that I ever saw developing. And I would hope that this would open up uh, other doors and some opportunities. Uh, so it, it's been very, very bittersweet. It, this is not the way I wanted to get another job. I, I'll be, you know, I'm very, very honest about that. This is the last way I wanted to get another head job. And now that being said, I've got to make the most of it because it's probably my last kick out of up 64. or <laughs> a lot more behind me than ahead of me, and I, and I get that. So it's unfortunate that I had to get this job this way. Uh, but now it's, it's gonna, I'm just going to try to enjoy it. And do, uh, hey, it's what we do every day. We do the best job we can. The end result is the end result, whatever it is, it is. Uh, but I'm going to try to enjoy it as much as I can. And again, this is... This is the last way I wanted to get another head job in this league. One thing Jim Neal did say in his press conference is this is our coaching staff for the rest of the year. Does that give you the security that maybe you need to implement and do what you want to do now that now that you are in charge, now that you are the head well, coach? We, we don't need to make a lot of changes. Again, it's usually yeah. when a coach takes over a team, they're struggling, and you've got to make changes. We're, we're, we've been playing very good hockey lately, and Monty and I have always been on the same page. So, you know, I was just asked that earlier with other members of the media, like, what, what, how are we going to put your footprint on it? Well, we're not. 
I worked very closely with Monty last year and this year, and so my my fingerprints are all over this team as well. So we're not going to make a lot of changes. We know how we have to play to be successful. We implemented those systems in last year. We changed the culture here last year. So Monty and I have worked very closely on, on putting this team where it is today. So to sit here and say, oh, no, we're going to make a lot of changes. No, that that is not happening. We're going to continue to play the way we've been very successful playing, not to the last half of last year and into the playoffs and after the first 10 games of this year. This is how we are going to play. Uh, so there's not a lot of drastic changes. I'm taking it over a team that's playing good hockey. I'm not taking over a team that's struggling and needs a new voice and needs a lot of changes. That's not going to happen. Rick, you talked about having fun every day, and obviously coming to the rink every day is fun. But as an added bonus, two weeks from now, which is somewhat uh, a little bit more than two weeks from now, which is somewhat unbelievable, the Dallas Stars are hosting the Winter Classic at the Cotton Bowl. As far as I can remember, you've never had the opportunity to be involved in an outdoor game. What are your thoughts about that coming up and how special that's going to be? Well, it's going to be very, very special, and you're absolutely right. I've never been involved in anything spectacle like that so just very excited to be part of that i was looking forward to be part of it as the assistant coach so (laughs) it's going to be a great event and i know that the city of dallas and our organization are going to do a phenomenal job of it and it will be a spectacle so i'm just very proud and very happy to be a a part of it no matter what role i had i was i've been excited about it as soon as they announced it so uh, we're very much looking forward to that uh we haven't given it honestly a lot of thought at this point because we're we got to worry about tomorrow night, right? The coaches day to day, game to game. Uh, but when, as it gets closer, and I know my kids are all going to fly in for it, or uh, some will have a great family time around the event. But certainly at this stage of my life and stage of my career, uh, I'm extremely incredibly proud to be part of it and very excited to be a part of it. Well, I'm sure you've seen then the coaches usually get a little style going with their with their headwear with their hats. So you got yeah, you better be in a cowboy hat, so, ten gallon baby. Uh, that's right. <laughs> I'm from the Maritimes in Canada, man. You don't see too many cowboy hats out there. <laughs> <laughs> not too many cowboy hats in Nova Scotia. No, definitely not. But maybe one on your head at the Winter Classic. <laughs> so we look forward. Sean and I will both be there. We look forward to seeing you there. Thank you so much for doing this, Rick. All right? Always a pleasure. Good talking to you guys. Rick Bonus is 1-0 as a coach of the Dallas Stars. He's going to coach his second game with the Stars Friday night against the Vegas Golden Knights. And who knows, Sean, maybe the Dallas Stars will be a team in the rental market come closer to the NHL trade deadline, which is on February 24th. But we're going to get ahead of it right now because I don't think you you can talk, you can't talk about this enough, to be honest with you, in, in this league. The trade deadline, like I said, February 24th. But I got a feeling that some teams are looking to act earlier ahead of that deadline, teams that want to get players and teams that are looking to get rid of some players perhaps. And the two teams I'm looking at are the New Jersey Devils and the Los Angeles Kings is part of the latter. And with the Devils, you got Taylor Hall, who is the name out there on the trade deadline. Do you agree? Do you think that teams, especially these two, will be looking to act earlier this season than what the deadline suggests? Usually we see so much movement right in that week leading up to the deadline, but maybe we see something earlier this year. Well, I think it's slid a little bit more, and, and you see more action. The actual deadline day has become less important. It's been earlier, and I think it's going to continue to slide earlier. I think baseball has shown us something to the point where they're doing deals a year before a guy's yeah. coming out of his contract because then you get the rest of that year plus a full year to figure out what you want to do. I don't know when hockey gets to that point, but they're getting closer. I, I, I think teams that want Taylor Hall, want to do it early because they want to integrate him into their system. They want to see what they have. They want to figure out what they can do with him. He's an unknown quantity. He was hurt. He hasn't played up to his MVP potential that he did before he was hurt. So I think teams want to acquire him early. But I think Ray Shiro, the Devils GM, in order to do that, wants to exact a premium, right? The longer you wait, you hope the price is going to go up. So if you're going to unload that asset early, you better get premium on it because you may be forfeiting something closer to the deadline when a team's desperate. So it's an interesting, it's certainly an interesting experience as it moves more and more forward to try and figure out what that premium is to allow a team to get. Look, the Devils don't need Taylor Hall. Not the way, the they're, way playing, they're trending. The right way now. they're playing yeah. right now. So I don't think there's an issue with moving them. I think the issue is what can I get now versus what I can get later. No question about it. And he has to be the first domino, I would imagine. Do you agree with that? I mean, he the, 
the, the of the bigger names out there, I think that what the Devils can get for Taylor Hall might set the market for what the Rangers potentially could get for a Chris Kreider or what the Kings could get for a Tyler Toffoli or, you know, what the the Penguins, if they're going to look to trade Galchenyuk, which is a different scenario because they're a contending team, might look to get for him. So maybe the first domino to go would be Taylor Hall. Maybe, but if I'm a smart GM, maybe I go to Ottawa and see what I can get for Pagano I agree you. right I agree. now because it's not even as a rental. Like I think that's a kid that's hitting his prime. He's going to be in a UFA, and I don't know that Ottawa is going to want to or can afford to have him back. So maybe you move in, you pay a premium, and you know that he's at the prime of his game right now. A lot of these other guys that you talked about have some baggage with him, right? Mm-hmm. Gal- Galchenyuk has two goals. You know, Toffoli, Kreider. There's questions about all those guys. I don't know that you have a lot of questions about Pajot right now, and I think you could get him not on the cheap, but cheaper than some of those more uh, bright light names you just talked about. Kreider's an interesting one too, right? I mean, the, David Quinn has outwardly said like the impact it would make on the Rangers if they were to make the playoffs this season, and in what is still technically considered a development year for them, I guess. But they're they're. They're in the mix. They're not in a position right now to do so. If it ended today, it doesn't end today, but they're in the mix. And they've played their way there, and yet Chris Chris Kreider on the last year of his deal, if they were to look to trade him, do you wait? Because if you wait, now you're in a position in mid to late February where maybe you're still in the mix, and now you're wondering, do we trade him? We need him. How big is a playoff berth here? That's another interesting one. No, you trade him. I, I, I mean, even if you're close, you trade them because, look, you got to be honest, right? And you could say all you want. You win. You get in. You can win. You're going to tell me that the Rangers in at the seventh or eighth spot are going to fight their way through the Islanders, who might be the best defensive team in hockey, the Bruins, who we've argued might be the best team in hockey, or the Capitals, who are the best team in hockey right now. They're going to have to get through at least two of those three teams, throw the Penguins in there, throw a couple other teams in there. You could be the biggest optimist in the world, and now you're saying Chris Kreider is going to help us get to the Stanley Cup final versus what Chris Kreider is going to give us for next year and the year beyond when that development year takes full fruition. I trade him even if I'm in a playoff spot in so, late February. So that's the thing. Does it lead you to trade him earlier is is the point. Like, do you not wait to to get to that position? But, you know, you, Chris Kreider has to increase his value too. Yeah, well, that's what I, I think yeah. you set your price and you wait. You know, it's like StubHub, right? You pick the price you want to go to the game. <laughs> you wait until it hits and then you jump. And then if you don't and you still want to go to the game, you adjust your, your slider the closer it gets to game time. I guess so. There's another team, too, the the Maple Leafs. They have five pending UFA defensemen in Tyson Barry, Jake Muzzin, Cody Ceci, Justin Hall, and Martin Marinson. And what if they're on the bubble? What happens there in Toronto? Uh, that's that's the million-dollar question, dude, because they're going to be under more scrutiny than any oh other team. Oh, my goodness, yeah. Right? And and they've they've stated that this is the team. They the signed, expectations to win. Yeah, and they signed all those guys to big yeah. contracts, and they said, now we have the team that can win. If they're out of it, like out of a playoff position, not out of I don't expect them to be out out of it, but if they're out of a playoff position, maybe you can move one of those big ticket guys to to get a little flexibility to bring something else in you need, maybe a little bit of grit mm-hmm. and say now we're ready for the playoffs. But I, I think they're somewhat stuck where they are. I think they're stuck where they are. I, and I look, the Capitals have Braden Holpe and Nicholas Backstrom too. I don't think we see them moving either one of those guys. No, I I wouldn't <laughs> think so. The wheels would not only have to come off, they would have to end up in the next county. <laughs> That's a perfect segue to bring in our next guest. We got Tom Galitti, who covers the Capitals for us at NHL.com. You are entering this discussion as Sean and I were just talking about Braden Holpe and Nicholas Backstrom and their futures. So you cover these guys. What do you think happens now with Holpe and Backstrom at the end of the season? I think we can safely say they won't get traded because of where the Capitals are, but how do you think this plays out? Um, I think Backstrom will be re-signed to some contract at some point. I don't know when, um, but you know they've been working on it, and he's, he apparently is representing himself. He said he's representing himself, so his agent's not involved. And Usually when something like that happens, that means there's, there's some common ground that, you know, they're they're going to get something done. Braden Holpe is the trickier question, I think. Um, 
I don't believe he will be traded. No, they have a chance to win the Stanley Cup. They're not. They're not going to move him. Uh, but you know, there's the situation with the salary cap. They have uh, expansion draft coming up in a couple of years where they can only protect one one goalie, and they have Ilya Samsonov who's working his way in this year as the as the backup and has played pretty well. And so you think that Samsonov is the heir apparent. So eventually they might move on, but you have to see. I think they're going to have to wait and see how this plays out. If Braden Holtby has an unbelievable season and uh, and he's the heart, you know, he wins the he wins the Vezina Trophy and they win the Stanley Cup again, then you have to figure out maybe you figure out a way to get him and that would to keep him, and then you maybe have to make trade somebody else, and then maybe that means they move on from Samsonov as well. But that uh, that to me is like the I, that's going to be the one thing they're going to have to figure out. Uh, after the season, and they're going to let it play out, I think, as the season goes on. Well, because it'd be awful early to make that decision on Ilya. I mean, it'd be one year backup. Uh, obviously, he played well in Russia, but you're you're talking about maybe walking away from a guy who could win you multiple Stanley Cups at the end of the window of your biggest star players. Exactly. I mean, I, I think he's the goalie of their future, but I'm not. I I think eventually they probably will move on from. They, they probably will move on from Holpe. But that's there is definitely a possibility. There's a way that they keep him. Um, it would have to be moving somebody else, moving a defenseman, moving someone to clear a salary cap space because they're really tight against the cap too. So they might not be able to afford Braden Holt, keeping Braden Holtby for next season and beyond that. Do you get a sense that he would take a short deal, or are they going to have to commit to him to sign him? Um, I don't have a sense either way on that. Um, I know he likes really likes it here, but you know this is a situation you know, where this is his opportunity to, you know, have his security for a long term going, going forward. And, um, I, it might be his best chance. So I don't know if he's going to give up that opportunity and say, I'll, I'll, uh, you know, see where we are in two years or something like that. But I guess he can't rule out anything. He does. He really does like it here. Um, but I think he sees, you know, he knows he's a smart guy. He sees Sam Sonoff is there. And, you know, as long as Sam Sonoff is here, you got to figure that he's eventually they're going to eventually pass the torch to him if they're both you know if they're both here. Tom, you wrote after the Capitals beat the Bruins Wednesday uh, that that game had sort of like a Stanley Cup playoff feel, and obviously with the two teams, it's not surprising. I, I find it mind blowing that the Capitals have won 16 of their past 17 games against the Bruins. It, it, it's nuts, and the another stat that blows me away: 24-0-0 when Nick Backstrom gets a point in a game against Boston. And he, of course, had the assist on John Carlson's game winner. What's your takeaway from that li- that game last night? Maybe from the Bruins' perspective too, because that's what you wrote about. Yeah, I, Boston is during this streak. It's not like Boston has had a bad team either. They've had a really good team. <laughs> that's why they it's amazing keep on to me. Finding ways to not win those games, or the Capitals keep finding ways to win the games. Right, right now, I think Boston's going through a little bit of you know a lull. They had their they had that was with a nine game winning streak or something like that, and, and a. 13 game point streak and maybe they didn't play as well during that that streak as the results indicated and now it's kind of going the other way for them where they played pretty well last night they just you know capitals made one more play and uh you know, there was a goal that got disallowed which you can you know go back and forth on but still the capitals always seem to be the team when they play each other when these ruins and capitals face each other the capitals always seem to be the team that make that one more play and figure out how to win the game you'd sign up right now for that as the eastern conference final right Oh, that'd be that'd be fun to watch. I and mean, both games, this game, the game last night and the in November, were really fun games to watch. Physical, you know, good scoring chances, good goaltending on both ends. That would be that'd be something definitely fun to watch. And you know, there's no guarantee when if they play in the playoffs that all of a sudden, you know, we've seen strange things like that where a team dominates the other in the regular season. All of a sudden, you get to the playoffs and it switches the other way. So it would be fun to definitely be fun to watch. I'm curious, but I'll give you my opinion on this and what you guys think. I still think, even though Boston seemingly can't beat Washington, it's a big struggle for them. I think if you look at them in a team setting, I still think they're a better team than Washington. It's close, but if you have to match these two teams up in a seven-game series, I still give the Bruins the edge because of their size, their physicality, their depth, and their D. You guys agree? Well, that's what I argued yesterday in our roundtable about which team was the better team going into the game. Uh, Washington won me over a little bit last night, but I think for many of the same reasons. And Mike Zeisberger, who was part of that mm-hmm. roundtable, nefariously accused me of being a homer, being from <laughs> New England. But uh, <laughs> it was it was completely based on logic. Um, we could I, say you're from Jersey now. You've been here long enough. I know. Uh, I just think honestly they have the better goaltender, 
and they have, like you said, the better defense, yeah. I think, one to six. And my one concern, and I think it came out a little bit yesterday, is if you could shut down that top line, and they didn't, Postonok scored again, 26 goals now. But if you could shut down that top line over a long series, where's the offense going to come from? Um, so I think they're the better team, but I, I think in a long series, maybe now Washington's depth wins out. Um, but again, let's see it happen. It'll I'd love fantastic. to see it happen. Tom, what do you think? Well, I, I, I mean, if you look on paper, you're going to say Tuka Rask is the better goaltender. But if you look at the way these teams have played against each other, and he didn't play last night, uh, one of the reasons why he might not have played is because he has not played well against the Capitals over the years. And Braden Holpe has played extremely, extremely well against the, against the Bruins over the years. So uh, that could be a difference maker in a series between the two of them. If, if he continue, he just has their number. I mean, they have a, their team has their number, but he really has played well against them. Even the one game they lost against them last year was one nothing. Like he, yeah. he just doesn't give up much against them. He just he's good. sometimes the team you know goalie feels really comfortable against the team. That seems to be the case with with Braden playing against Boston. So that could be to me the difference maker. I, I agree with you in the other areas. I like Boston's defense better. Um, their forward situation I think is similar. Um, I think maybe both teams will probably like look to. You know, like like a little better depth going to the play into the playoffs as far as scoring. You know, we saw last year Boston in the cup, in the Cup final, or even in in the rounds before that. Like the top line really was basically limited to its power play production in that Cup final against St. Louis. And when they stopped getting power plays, they stopped scoring goals. Boston, so that's something they're going to have to watch out for. I think the Bruins this year in the postseason as well. Yeah, no question about it. Now I know the game was going on. I believe the game was going on when the Pete DeBoer news broke Wednesday night, or it might have just ended in in that window i can't exactly remember what was your what was your initial reaction when you saw that pete DeBoer had been let go by the san jose sharks I, I, i'll be honest with you i didn't think that they were going to do it i'm curious what do you what do you think tom i, I was a little surprised um you know i thought they had kind of righted the, sh- the ship uh, in november but it's gone back the other way again in, in this month uh, and they had some you know if you look at it, they had some losses that were not very competitive in the last you know week or so so sometimes that's a bad sign, but I, I was definitely I was definitely surprised. I don't I don't think it's really, um, you know, can't blame it all on the coach. Um, they haven't gotten enough saves, and maybe they're hoping uh, something changing. I mean, they they changed. I, another thing that's weird is that, and I know these guys were all connected to Pete for the most part, but they changed almost the entire coaching staff, which is not you don't see that often during a regular season change either. Look at the three coaches that have been fired for cause, right? Like none of them can outcoach their goaltending. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, even yeah. Mike Babcock, he got one point from his backup goaltender in the first two months of the season. Probably the reason they're out of the playoff picture right now. You know, Martin Jones hasn't been good for them. Aaron Dell hasn't been good for them. They're they're at like an eight eighty eight save yeah. percentage. Well, their save percentage is brutal. It's the it. worst in the league. Yeah. And and they're still not a horrible team. Last year they they were bad in goaltending and they outscored that deficiency. They haven't done that this year. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't know that it's Pete. And I I think maybe they just needed a completely new reset voice to to get that team to respond. You know, you talk about messages getting old and and coaches wearing on players. I don't know if that's the case here, but clearly I think that's the message that's being sent by changing the whole thing over. And the other thing that interests me is, is they promoted their AHL coach, uh, Som- Sommer, who's been with them for 22 years in the AHL, developed almost every guy that's on that team that's homegrown. Is this, you know, Wilson saying we're going to go younger now? If they can. I mean, they're so tied to who they are by the salary cap and everything else and the no-move contracts, and we'll probably get into that a little bit more at some other time. But can they go younger if they want to? I don't. I don't know. I mean, you, when you have you, you bring back Joe Thornton and you bring back Patrick Marlowe, I mean, that their their die is cast at least for this season, isn't it? I mean, maybe you you want to go beyond this season, but you no, know, it wasn't it the idea to win with what they have right now? So I don't know. Maybe they're maybe they've decided to change change their path midway through the season or not even midway through the season. But if you look at the standings, you know, they're. I mean, the West is not is wide open as far as those. Uh, you know. Those spots. I mean, you, you saw Calgary win six in a row, and all of a sudden they're you know two points out of first place in their division. You know that that could easily happen. With I would not be surprised if San Jose makes a charge and, and they're in. You know, I I was someone asked me yesterday before Pete was fired if they thought they'd make the playoffs, and I said yes. So I I don't think that this changes that to me. Well, part of the reason I would think yes too would be Pete DeBoer because I think he's a very good coach. <laughs> um, do you think there's now? Obviously, there's teams out there who are are looking. There's a lot of good coaches out there now. 
What do you think about a potential reunion with the Devils for Pete DeBoer, Tom? You covered that. I mean, you you were there covering the Devils at the time. It's a different organization now. Uh, well, different people yeah, in the organization. It's completely completely a different organization now. I, I, and I'm wondering how many players are even left from when Pete were there. I think maybe Andy Green and, and Travis, Travis Jack, maybe yeah. oh, Damon Severson. That might be it. I mean, uh, so, but I, I don't know if that's right for fit for him or, or for them. And they're really. Um, I do think he would help them with their structure, and which is something they need. But uh, I, I think for him, he might be a good fit for a team that's ready to win. Uh, you know, he's he's gotten some teams that maybe have, you know had under underperformed previously to kind of to, to to pick up their play, and I you know a veteran team sort of situation. So if something like that opened up, I really think he could make a difference. But maybe he would, you know, maybe he wants to kind of start from scratch with somebody. So it'll be interesting to see. I, I just don't know. You know, when, when Ray Shiro came in, he kind of made it clear he wasn't looking back in, in their past. And, you know, they could have, they had an opportunity to have Scott Stevens even on their staff just as an assistant, and they didn't want, you know, they didn't do that. And so I, I feel like it's kind of he's, he's going with his own direction. I wouldn't see him going back in that direction and, and bringing someone from the devil's past in like that. But, they, I mean, they do have those guys. Patrick Elias helps out a lot, and there's some other guys in that organization. I, I kind of get the sense that, you know, Pete might take some time off. It's been a long run for him. You know, three different teams, three three bad endings. Like maybe he's got a he's got a little cushion now. Maybe he takes a year and off. His son plays at BU. Jack DeBoer plays it at Boston University. Maybe it's an opportunity to go see him play a little bit. Yeah, I, that, that, I could see him definitely sitting out the rest. You know, not, not coaching the rest of the season. I mean, he got let go by the the Devils infamously on uh, Christmas Day that when he got let go <laughs> and he sat out that rest of that year and he ended up getting into the landing with the Sharks the next year. I could see something similar happening with him. But, you know, coach is coach. I don't know. So if, if someone really offered him a good opportunity midseason, I, I think he would definitely think about it. The Tom. funny thing you mentioned about New Jersey, I think he finally just moved. He had a home in New Jersey for years after he uh, after he left, after he was you know, let go and was coaching in San Jose. His family was living there still, and I think they finally got rid of that home last year. So it would be <laughs> weird if he ended up going back. <laughs> no question about it. Last one for you. You're going to the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame inductions tonight, Thursday night, and you drew the assignment of Tim Thomas. You're and, welcome. <laughs> Sean gave you that assignment. What do you want to hear from Tim Thomas? What are you looking forward to hearing from Tim Thomas? Um, I'm just interested to see, you know, hearing what he's got to say about, you know, hockey. And, you know, I know, I know when they announced – and he was one of the inductees. He said he basically is not involved in the game and barely watches them. You know, I think he said the winning, you know, the Stanley Cup final last year was really one of the first times he watching the Bruins. There was one of the first times he watched watched uh, you know hockey since he retired. So interesting to see what he what he's doing with himself. He's want to tell us what he what he's doing with himself. You know, I, I think last night's game might have been the first game he's been at since he's retired. I don't know. I just want to find that out too. Just want to see what he's been up to and and what he thinks about you know maybe does he want to get back involved in the game? Is he just happy being you know, being kind of you know on his own and you know he's just doing his own thing and and you know it's, it seemed like he really you know I don't the guys in Boston last night that you know that he played with like Chara and and Marshawn and and Bergeron they were really like happy to see him so I, just, I wonder if maybe seeing them would would have uh, you know maybe spark in him and say hey you know maybe I missed it some it just seems like he's been so away for so long you know since he's retired whatever is it almost five years now more than five years now that I want to hear what he you know why and what what does he want to you know what does he want to do with his life going forward what is he hoping to do with his life going forward or does he just want to kind of be and be left alone i'll tell you what if he decides to do anything in hockey he's going to be good at it tim thomas is one of my favorite stories in the history of hockey like he came out of nowhere you know playing high school hockey gets a gets a scholarship sight unseen to go to the university of vermont they never saw him play stole the starting job went to a national championship and then kicked around in europe for ever in the minor leagues I think it was you know uh, seven different countries he played in before he finally made it to the NHL and then brought a Stanley Cup to the Bruins and had two great years two all-time years so and the whole time he did it he did it with a huge chip on his shoulder so if he comes back he's going to be driven and whatever he does is I think going to be fantastic yeah I mean he, has, he obviously with the, the 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 work ethic that he had you know was a thing that carried him maybe you know uh, maybe more than his talent, you know, and he obviously had talent too, but, you know, you don't wait, you know, he took until he was 31 to basically establish himself as a full-time NHL player. A lot of guys give up before then, so that tells you a lot about him, that he just kept, he wanted to do it, he wanted to do it, and he finally was rewarded. 
Well, enjoy the assignment. Enjoy the ceremony for the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame tonight, Tom, Thursday night. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on. You can follow Tom on Twitter at Tom Galitti NHL, and he'll be covering the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame induction ceremony Thursday night in Washington. In addition to Tim Thomas, going into the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame is Gary Bettman, Brian Gianta, Chrissy Wendell, and Neil Henderson. And, Sean, we touched with Tom on the Braden Holpe, Ilya Samsonov situation, and it's maybe not the same with the New York Rangers because Henrik Lundqvist still has one year remaining on his deal where Braden Holpe can become a UFA at the end of this season, but they're also in a similar situation with Henrik Lundqvist being the franchise goalie, still signed, and then you have Alexander Georgiev playing well and Igor Shosturkin playing in Hartford. Yeah, look, I look at it and I don't envy the New York Rangers. I don't envy Dave Quinn. I don't envy any of them and how they figure out how to handle this. When I look at it, what it reminds me of is Marty Brodeur in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. A little bit of a different thing. He was out of contract. They were like, that's it. We're going to move on. Uh, hope you retire. And he was like, no, I can still play. I'm going to St. Louis. And that worked out how that worked out. But you're going to have a very similar thing here, right? You, we talked a little bit about the Rangers and Kreider and where they are. And next year, if they want to win, if they think they're in that window and the rookies, the young players are playing better than in Lundqvist, what happens if it's a, if it's not an even split anymore? What happens if one of those two guys gets really hot and Lundqvist has to play 15 to 17 games? We, we may see that at some point this season, though. I mean, it, 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 that that's the thing with the Rangers is they're playing the hot hand. D- David Quinn rode Georgiev for a couple of straight starts. He then rode Lundqvist, who was playing well, and he went back to Georgiev, and he was winning some games, and – they, they've both been good. I mean, look, the goaltending for the Rangers has been maybe the brightest spot on the team simply because they give up a ton of shots. They don't have the puck a lot, and their goalies have to be good, and they've been good. But I think at the end of the season, and I don't think they have to do anything right now, but at the end of the season, with Lundqvist still having one more year left on his deal and a no-move clause, I think the Rangers are going to have to accelerate the process of choosing who is their future number one goalie and deciding between Georgiev and Shesterkin at that point, even if it means... They don't have all of the knowledge they need as Shesterkin at the NHL level. Maybe they make that decision before the trade deadline this year. I know a couple of teams that need a goalie. Maybe there's enough evidence there that the Toronto Maple Leafs who need a backup think Gorgiev is good enough to do it. And the the Rangers don't think that they're good enough to get in the playoffs. Uh, Again, it comes down to premium. If the the Maple Leafs are willing to pay that premium, maybe they make that move right now. It's possible, and I think you you hit on it too. Where's the Rangers situation, obviously, uh, around that time? But it's not like you can't get the premium for a guy in the offseason when you're talking goalie. The goalie market's different. Yeah, for sure. And look, we can talk trades all we want, but let's talk a little bit about what's going on in the league right now. I mean, we've broached it before. Offense is out of this world like the way that the offense is this year in the nhl has been unbelievable i think there's nine guys that are on pace for 100 points i i can't remember i started covering this league in 93 94 i don't know if i can remember a time when there's been this much especially young talent just tearing it up yeah so you started covering in 93 94 by the way i was in high school at the time okay yeah, I was a sophomore in high school at the time. It's called experience. Day. <laughs> uh, there were 21 players who had 100 points in 1992-93, and that's a record. 16 in 1984-85. Different eras, obviously. Yeah. With offense, but I don't think we're entering to that era of offense. But when you're seeing what we're seeing now, and it's not just as you pointed out before the show, it's not just nine guys on pace for 100 points at currently. You also have two more, and Alexander Barkov's on pace for 98, Evgeny Malkin's on pace for 96, and he missed 11 games, so they could jump their production. But four players are on pace for 50 goals this season, too, and David Pasternak, who's on pace for 66 currently, uh, Alex Ovechkin, Jack Eichel, and Nathan McKinnon. And and Eichel is one I want to talk about. Yeah, Uh, Eichel has been terrific for the Buffalo Sabres. He's finally delivering on that promise, right? It was him and McDavid, and it was so lopsided for a while. Now Eichel has grown up a little bit. He has a better team around him. He has some guys that can finish. He's finishing. You know, we're talking 100 points for him and 50 goals. He would be the first Sabre to do it since Alexander Mogilny and Pat LaFontaine. That's not bad company. But the guy you forgot on the list 100 
is Miko Rantanen, who's not going to make it because he's missed right. too many games. He has 20 points in 15 games. If he had been healthy all year, he's well over 100. Yeah. So, it, it, and look, all those guys we just talked about, they're under 25. There's there's not a lot. Ovechkin is the 50-goal scorer that's older. Marchand's a little bit older. But they're all young guys, arguably guys that aren't in their prime yet. With more guys coming behind to challenge them, you say it's not going to happen again. I think it might. Well, this might happen. I'm saying I don't think we'll see 21, I'm, like we said in 92, 93. I, I, give it a couple more years. The way the game's opened up, the skill that's coming into the game. You know, uh, Rick Bowne has talked about it. These kids, they're coming in now. They're so confident. They're not intimidated. It doesn't take them time to get up. McDavid scored 100 points as a 19-year-old. You're telling me there's not another kid? There's not another kid behind him that's 17 years old right now that in two years can't score 100 points and add to that group? I wouldn't dismiss it as quickly as you are. And <laughs> All right. And this, by the way, you think about it, you talk about the youth and all that, brings me back to what we talked about with Rick Bonus and at the top of the show, coaching these players, right? Coaching these young players is going to be so important to the future of coaching. Yeah. and it, It's a young man's league, and it's only going to get younger because it's, it's cheap talent, right? If it's yeah. good talent and it's cheap, that's, that's where you're going to build your team. Well, McDavid's on pace for 136 points, and he's making 12.5 million. He's not so cheap. No, but he was on his entry level contract, entry level. and if he had been on a better team, yeah. he would have been far more impactful. So, if you can incorporate these guys onto a very good team as youngsters, and you can get that three years of of relatively inexpensive labor, you're golden. Absolutely. Well, maybe by next week when we record our next podcast, there'll be more players on pace for 100 points because, like I said, Barkov. And Malkin are not too far away. So a lot to unfold on this one, Sean. This was fun again. It's always fun, Dan. And maybe I'll get to California and can send some pictures. Well, you know, you can assign yourself that. You know, you, you have that ability to assign it. I'm glad you didn't. Yes. I'm glad you didn't. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. And always remember to rate and review us. And until next week, enjoy the games.